Isn't it wonderful to sing about the name of Jesus? The Bible says that one day, one glorious day in the future, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't you look forward to that day? My goodness. I want you to take your Bible. We're in a series through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 1. We've got a long way to go. But we're, the series is entitled Discovering Jesus. And last week, we, we looked at the, the final sermon in the prologue. And we discovered some fascinating things about Jesus. We discovered in verses 1 through 18 that Jesus is eternal in nature. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the only Savior. And Jesus reveals God to us. Last week we said, hey, you need Jesus. That's the point we kept making over and over again. And I'll tell you what was true last week is true this week. You still need Jesus. And if you wake up tomorrow, you'll need Jesus tomorrow. If you wake up next week, you'll, you'll need Jesus next week. If you live another year, you'll need Jesus in that new year. You need Jesus. You know, discovering Jesus is a fascinating journey. That's true if you're a seeker trying to discern if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And it's true for the believer who is, is, is seeking to press into Jesus, to know him at a deeper and deeper, more intimate level. We certainly um, learned a lot last week, but we move forward in the gospel this morning, and a strange fellow's name pops up again. He was a strange guy. The Bible says that in verses 6 through 8, we read this last week, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And then the Bible says he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, Matthew gives us some more insight into John the Baptist, the man and his ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. That makes you hungry, right? Verse 5, then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Well, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, regarded John the Baptist as an eccentric outsider. He had no religious training. 
He was not authorized by any of the major bodies of Judaism, yet people were coming from everywhere to hear this prophet preach. And people were being baptized and they were repenting of their sin. The establishment could no longer ignore him. So they sent a delegation from the, the main Jewish religious bodies. And we read about it in verse 19 of chapter 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jew, again, this is John the Baptist. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. We've already learned that John the Baptist came as a witness. We saw that in verses 7 and 15. The word testimony literally means witness, a witness. John the Baptist, as the last Old Testament prophet, was the first one to bear witness to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is significant. So this delegation peppered him with questions. Who are you? <laughs> they were trying to figure out who he was. He, he said, I am not the Christ. Evidently, the messianic expectations were at a fever pitch back in this, this time in the first century. They were expecting the Messiah to come. The Jews had been waiting for a long time for him to come. And, and this expectation had arisen. And, and some people evidently thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah. But he said, I'm not the Messiah. Get that out of your mind. I am not the Messiah. And then they said, are you Elijah? Now, it might have been easy for them to assume that he was Elijah since John the Baptist and Elijah had a lot in common with their personality, their appearance, and their message. But also, they could have assumed this because of the promise, the prophetic promise that God provided in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The last book of the Old Testament, the last part of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here's what the prophet said. Behold, speaking for God, God says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now, what did, what did John the Baptist say to this question? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. He was careful to never even insinuate that he was Elijah. Later on, Jesus noted that in a sense, John the Baptist was Elijah. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said this. 
He said, for all the prophets in the law prophesied unto John. Speaking of John the Baptist, verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Now, is this a contradiction? John the Baptist said, I'm not Elijah. Jesus said, if you can accept it in some sense, John the Baptist is Elijah. Well, what is the meaning here? We know that the Bible never contradicts itself. Well, here's what Jesus was saying. John's ministry was like Elijah's. He went before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he was not Elijah. And and then the, 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 the questions continued. This delegation of august religious leaders had asked him, are you the Christ? No, I'm not. Or are you uh, Elijah? No, I'm not. And then they said, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? Well, he was a prophet, but he was not the prophet. Let's make sure we understand the difference. These leaders were spiritually blind. They should have understood that the prophet is the Messiah. Now, how do we know that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 is an Old Testament prophecy. And the Bible says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Now, both Peter and Stephen in the New Testament, Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, and Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 37, applied this idea, this prophecy, this prophecy in Deuteronomy, they applied it to the Messiah. So here's what, here's what uh, Elijah, excuse me, John the Baptist said in, in answer to their question, are you the prophet? He said, no. Hey, and you notice how his answers just keep getting shorter and shorter. It's like he's getting a little fed up with this thing. And he said, no, I'm not the prophet. This backwoods prophet understood the scripture better than the will, well-heeled religious leaders of Judaism. In John chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we read this. Then they said to him, who are you? They say, you say you're not the Christ. You you say you're not Elijah. You say you're not the prophet. Who in the world are you? We need to give an answer to this, this group that sent us to find out who you are. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he said, here's what he said. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So what did John the Baptist do when he wanted to give this group uh, an idea of who he was? He quoted an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. He said, a voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. 
Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, now remember this. When Isaiah wrote that prophecy, the Jewish people of the southern kingdom of Judah were in exile in Babylon. And, and so here's a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy, saying, look, I'm going to deliver my people. And, and, and the king is coming. And I'm delivering my people, so here's what you need to do. You need to make a good smooth road for this, these exiles and for the king to come. You need to take the mountains down. You need to raise the valleys up. You need to fill all the potholes. And you need to make sure that there's a smooth road for the exiles and for the king to come to the promised land. In other words, here's what he's saying. Prepare yourselves for God's salvation. It's coming. Now look at verse 24 and 25. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? And, and no, here's what they're saying. Who gave you the authority to baptize? Now, if I'd been John the Baptist, I might've said, well, uh, Yahweh gave me the authority to baptize. But by the way, I might've said this, I want you to know that an angel spoke to my father and said that he and my mom, who were very old, would have a baby. And I'm that baby. I'm that baby. I want you to know that God sent me to declare and make ready the way of the Lord. That's who I am. Listen, my authority comes from God. John could have said, but he didn't. He didn't. They're questioning him. I'm, I'm telling you, his answer must have stunned them. Look at verse 26 through 28. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you, get the picture here, among you, you religious leaders, among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Here's what John the Baptist is saying. He said, look, guys, you got your eyes on me. I want you to understand that there's one who is here among you who is greater than me. He's here. It's not that he's coming. He's already here. And man, don't you think they may have looked around and tried to figure what, what, who, who is this Messiah? Where is this Messiah? John's answer was enlightening. He said, I baptize in water. Now, what was the significance of John's baptism? John's baptism was a visible sign of repentance. 
It was an opportunity to testify publicly that they were turning from their sin and they were waiting in faith for the promised Messiah. John said to this group of religious dignitaries, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And then John the Baptist said this. I can imagine him saying, hey, you guys, quit focusing on me. I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah. Hey, you need to look behind me. He's coming. In fact, he's already here. Are you so blind that you can't see him or know who he is? Now, I wonder if these words caused any members of this delegation to lose sleep that night. Can you imagine them just turning over? their eyes wide open, trying to figure out exactly what they had heard from John the Baptist, the prophet. I'm not sure that they were ready for what John would boldly and fearlessly declare the very next day. Look at verse 29. The next day, he saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the dawn of his ministry, after his temptation, he'd already been tempted. He had already been baptized by John the Baptist. And John sees him coming again. And he points him out and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he He points out in one pregnant sentence the redeeming work of the Messiah. He called him the Lamb of God. Well, that would be an image that the Jewish people could readily identify with, right? Because in their temple, they sacrificed all the time animals, sheep. On the, 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 the Passover, they sacrificed a sheep a perfect sheep. Abel sacrificed a sheep in the garden of Eden. This was common. What did did Abraham do when he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and God had said, I want you to to take the life of your only son, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham obeyed God and, and he had the knife drawn back and an angel stopped him and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And God provided the sacrifice. So the Lamb of God was an image that they could readily identify with who takes away the sin of the world. Notice, it's not sins of the world. It's the sin of the world. It's as if the whole mass of human transgressions was bound together in one black dreadful bundle and placed upon the broad shoulders of the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ, who could bear all the guilt and take all the guilt away. I want to say this. This is not teaching universalism where everybody that's ever been born is going to go to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. This is teaching that the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God, Jesus, is sufficient for the sins of everybody in the world that's ever lived. 
but it is only efficient for those who put their faith in Jesus. It's sufficient for everyone, but it's only efficient for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Well, where do we see that? Well, we see it in the most common, commonly memorized verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. But Jesus will only save those who put their faith and trust in him. Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Don't think you're going to get a free pass to heaven because you're good. Don't think you're going to get a free pass to heaven because you're religious. Don't think you're going to get a free pass to heaven because of your, the pedigree of your family. Let me tell you, dear friend, the only way you'll ever go to heaven is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. John the Baptist is not playing defense anymore. He shifted to offense. Let's pick up the story again. John chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. This is he, speaking of the Messiah, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Isn't that interesting? After me, that's why he's, he, he needs to be saying to these uh, religious dignitaries, hey, hey, you better be looking behind me. He's coming and he's here already. It's the third time that John stressed his subordinate role to Jesus. You find it here in this verse, in verse 15 and verse 27. For he existed before me. Now, remember this. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. They were cousins. And John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. So how could he say he existed before me? Because John the Baptist knew that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Jesus had neither beginning nor ending. And God revealed that to John the Baptist. But, but when did God reveal to John the Baptist that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, look at this. He said, I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, let me make this clear. John the Baptist did not know that Jesus, his cousin, was the Messiah until he baptized him. That's what the scripture says. And then he explains the reason, verse 32 and 33. John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water. Who sent, by the way, who sent John the Baptist? God the Father. He was sent by God the Father. He was not sent by any Jewish body. He was sent by God the Father. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one. 
This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So God the Father gave John the Baptist a sign so he could recognize for himself who the true Messiah was and so he could declare that to the nation of Israel. He would be the one on whom the Holy Spirit descended. John was a reliable witness regarding Jesus because he had confirming evidence from God. Now take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let's just read about what happened at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, this occurred earlier before what we're reading about today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately. Who baptized Jesus? John the Baptist. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe in the Trinity. Well, you better believe in it because it's right here. You got God the Father speaking out of heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. You've got the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove and lighting on Jesus and staying on Jesus. The Spirit filled Jesus. And then you've got Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized and now being declared to be the Son of God by confirmation from God and heaven itself. What a glorious confirmation this was. Now, John the Baptist baptized people in water. But Jesus the Messiah baptized people in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what happened to you when you were saved? When you repented of your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus, the Lord Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just be simple here. What is a baptism of the Holy Spirit? It means that you, were, you received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit began to do an amazing work inside of you that's still being worked through you to the outside. And the Holy Spirit connected you with the church, the living body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible says in verse 34... I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Whoa. That's powerful. You realize this is a sixth time in, in, in John chapter 1 that the Bible says that John the Baptist testified or witnessed to Jesus. The sixth time. Jesus is the Son of God. At least nine times in John's gospel, Jesus is called the Son of God. You recall in, in John chapter 21, John chapter 20, verse 31. Look at it. John 20, verse 31. Turn over there. Look at 
when John wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired him to put the purpose for the gospel right here in the gospel. Notice the Bible says in verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these these have been written so that you may believe. Hold on just a second. I hate to do this. Oh, that's good. But these have been written so that you may believe, look at it, believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Look at this, the what? The Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Oh, my goodness. Listen, John the Baptist said, this is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. And he declares that to the Jewish leaders and to the people of of Israel. Now, look, you say, well, what's the purpose of this? Why are we doing this Bible study? It's not a Bible study. It's a sermon. It's a difference in a Bible study and a sermon. Well, here's the application for you and me. Just as six different times in John chapter 1, the Bible says that John the Baptist bore witness of Jesus. Do you realize that if you're a born-again believer, you're supposed to bear witness of Jesus also? You are. So here's the point I want to make to you today. Point people to Jesus. Are you a believer? Point people people to Jesus. Don't point them to yourself. Don't point them to your pastor. Don't point them to your best friend. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. So let let me just give you three things that you can do to help you be a good pointer to Jesus, okay? It'll be a good witness for Jesus. Number one, know who you are. John the Baptist knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. He was a humble man of God. He never pretended to be something that he was not. Listen, if you're a born-again believer, you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You have no reason to be filled up with pride at where you are spiritually because you are a product of of the grace of God. So know who you are and know who you are not. Number two, refuse to be intimidated. Don't you think that's one of our big drawbacks when it comes to witnessing and pointing people to Jesus? We let people intimidate us. We're afraid, well, they may ask me a question I don't know the answer. Can I just let you off the hook? That's okay. If you don't know the answer, just tell them you don't know the answer, but you'll research it and you'll get back with them. Never be intimidated by people that so much that it will cause you to get lockjaw and you won't witness for Jesus and point people to Jesus. Refuse to be intimidated. Let me tell you, John the Baptist was not intimidated. 
not in the least bit. You, you say, but, but pastor, I, I'm not a, a, a prophet. I'm not an Old Testament prophet. No, you're a child of God. You're a child of the living God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Listen, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you as a believer. He has placed at your disposal everything you need to have faith and to point people to Jesus with absolute lack of fear. Refuse to be intimidated. Know who you are. Number three, this is what I've been looking forward to getting to, glory in the cross. Glory in the cross. That's what John the Baptist did. I absolutely love what John the Baptist shared with the religious crowd that day. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, when he went to the cross, offered the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Listen, the blood of bulls and goats and rams would never do it when it comes to forgiveness of sin. Listen, the Bible, every every sacrifice that was offered in the Old Testament was a picture, a type of the perfect sacrifice that would one day come when the Lord Jesus would be incarnated into this world and would be able to offer himself on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. But he's also not only the sacrifice, he's the substitute. Let me ask you, who brought this lamb to be sacrificed. God did. God sent his son into this world to be sacrificed on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of all of our sin. Only the Lamb of God could perfectly and completely pay the penalty for our sin. Only through Jesus can we discover true forgiveness of sins once and for all. And then the final word here is the satisfaction, the sacrifice, the substitute. Jesus died in our place and the satisfaction. Think about that. Jesus, the Lamb of God, offered his life for our life. He received the full brunt of God's wrath against our sin. And here's how the Bible describes it. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. Four powerful words. He died for you. You're a sinner. And he died for you on the cross. But look at this, verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified or made right by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. My goodness, the glory of the gospel. Think about it. I want you to know something today. You don't have to pay for your sin. You don't have to pay. You, you don't have to come to church a whole year, every Sunday, to pay for your sin. You don't have to do that. It won't work. 
You, you don't have to make sure that your good works outweigh your bad works to pay for your sin. It won't work. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do that would earn God's forgiveness because God's forgiveness is tied inexplicably to the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you on the cross of Calvary. You don't have to fear the wrath of God. Listen, if you believed in Jesus, you don't have to fear the wrath of God. You don't have to fear one day that you'll have to finally answer for those sins that you are most troubled by because those sins have been forgiven if you're a believer. You don't have to fear the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God for you. So here's my question to you today. Let's wrap it all up. Here's the question. If you're in this room and you've never been saved, you've never received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. What are you going to do with the witness of John? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be like so many of the religious leaders there that was a part of this delegation sent from Jerusalem to check out this, this weird preacher that was preaching in the wilderness? Or are you going to, to turn a deaf ear to his testimony. Six times the Bible says he testified about Jesus. Are you going to say today, I'm not going to believe John the Baptist. I'm not going to believe the apostles. I'm not going to believe that pastor. I'm going to reject Jesus. My friend, you do so at your own peril. I, I, I beg you. Receive Jesus by faith as your Savior and Lord today. And he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you. And he will make you a child of God. You see, he's alive. He's alive. He's not dead, buried in some sepulcher there outside the gates of Jerusalem. He's alive. He rose from the dead. He's been saving people for 2,000 years, and he'll save people until he comes again. Oh, I encourage you today, give your heart to Jesus. I'm going to invite our, our staff and our worship team to come up here and join me, and I'm going to invite you to respond to this powerful witness of John the Baptist. I'm going to invite you to come to one of our staff members and just tell them, today I want to be saved. I want to be saved. And they'll help you with that decision. But if you're a born-again believer in this room, see, here, here's what I want to ask you. Will you point people to Jesus? Will you? Because, look, that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus said we're to be witnesses for him. Will you point people to Jesus? Now, many of you in this room, you've got somebody in your family, you've got somebody in your, in your circle of friends, you've got somebody that you work with, you've got somebody that you go to school with, if you're a student, and they're lost, and you know they've never received Jesus as Savior and Lord. As, as a way to begin the process of pointing them to Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the altar and bow your knee before King Jesus and ask him uh, 
to begin the work of saving your friend, your, 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 your relative, your, your, uh, your, your co-worker. Ask God to save them. Bring their name before the throne of grace and pray for their salvation. And then look for opportunities to share, share Jesus with them and point them to Jesus in the coming week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this powerful story in John chapter 1. I'm so thankful for John the Baptist. I'm so glad that you sent him, Father. And I, I'm so glad you sent him to bear witness of your son, the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that today we would see men, women, boys, and girls repent of their sin and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that we would see believers, true believers, catch a burden for pointing people to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, this altar will fill with men, women, boys, and girls who are crying out to you on your throne, my Lord, for the salvation of their friends, relatives, neighbors, and acquaintances. And Lord, I pray you'd open a door for us to share the gospel this week with somebody and point them to Jesus. Lord, we love you. Be glorified as we respond to you in Jesus' name.